You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. The passage of Scripture that I'm going to be sharing with you today is um, Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to, it's going to be on the screen, so you don't need to necessarily try to look or follow, especially if you've got a different translation, because it's, you know, they're similar, but this will be a, a little bit different. But um, I don't know about you. I, I've been a Christian for a little over 40 years, um, March 2nd, 1976. And I, I've told you guys that before. Back on Father's Day, I kind of shared how Susie and I came to know the Lord. It was really a wonderful experience. But you know, back then, the gospel meant salvation. And, and that's what we learned. That's what was taught. Um, you know, brother, are you saved? Or sister, are you saved? And, and you know, the, everybody's favorite verse was John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. And that's just tremendous. That's good news. But there's so much more to the gospel. Um, I was going to title this, my, 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 my message today, but wait, there's more. And there is, and it never stops. I, I think at least once a week, I was going to say every day, but I can't really maybe honestly say that, but I'm learning more and more about God and the gospel and what all it contains. And it contains more than we can even imagine. But there's a wonderful passage in Scripture that we're going to look at today that really broadens out and gives a lot more detail as to um, what all is included. So, um, but wait, there's more is the title here. Susie, if you'd go ahead and put slide number. Oh, you have. Great. Very good. So, so having done that, by the way, that was my wife calling. Um, this, I don't often refer to her as God, but I just... I, <laughs> I just had to take advantage of this opportunity, and Rick will say, never again. So, um, okay, go ahead and put slide two up there, honey. And I can call her, honey, because she's my wife. So, okay, so let's read through this together. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done. Now, folks, there's a lot more there than just the idea of going to heaven when we die. Okay, so let's kind of look at this. It says, because of Jesus and our faith in him, God's righteousness has been transferred to us. So how righteous is God? Kind of a, kind of a high standard, right? In fact, you can say there's no unrighteousness in God, so it's, it's an absolute. There aren't many absolutes in the world. This is certainly one of them. God is righteous. And he's given his righteousness to each one of us who simply believe in his son. Now, that's, I, I, can't, I really can't totally comprehend that. It's all, it's re, I, I'm, just, I, I'm so happy because that's true. But it's still beyond, beyond my mind. But my heart knows it because God's given me a new heart. He gave me that about 40-some years ago. He's given all of you a new heart. Our hearts know that is true. And as our minds are renewed over our lifetime, that, that truth kind of starts to take hold up here. 
Okay, so, so and, and not just that, look at that. He says, he declares us flawless in his sight. Flawless in his sight. Turn to the person on your right and say, you're flawless in God's sight. Yeah, it's kind of hard. There's not much response there. But okay, so nobody's left out. Now turn to the person on your left and say, you're flawless in God's sight. You know that means perfect? God looks at us and he sees us as perfect. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you. I need that. Okay, so is that good news? No doubt about it. Oh, wait, there's more. Um, Look at that next sentence. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has done for us. Now, this peace is not a subjective word. It's, it's not a subjective peace. You know, like, so, well, I really feel peaceful today. Don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I really feel peaceful today. Or it's not, I've got peace of mind over that. No, this is an objective standard. This is an absolute. We can have peace with God. We can live in harmony with God. We'll see there's a verse later on in this passage that talks about that. So another way, one translation says we can enjoy lasting friendship with God. Now again, we'll see later on there's even more than that. But that's a lot, isn't it? Okay, so all because of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, Let's go to the next slide, honey. Look at verse 2. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that he has given us as a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. It's a guarantee. There aren't aren't a lot of guarantees in life. Um, But we're guaranteed permanent access to God, to the presence. Jesus ushers us into the presence of God. Now, you know, from the day of Moses until Jesus, the people of Israel did not have direct access to God. They went through intermediaries, the priests. And in fact, God, in creating first the tabernacle of Moses and then the temple in Jerusalem, he made certain the people didn't have direct access to him. There was a heavy, heavy, large, tall curtain that separated God's presence on the earth, represented by the Ark of the Covenant, from all of the people, except the priests who would occasionally go in at certain times, go in behind the curtain and was able to minister to the Lord. Okay, so separation. Now, there was, I'm, I gotta back up a minute. There was one period of time when that wasn't true. When was that? Anybody know? Um, but, from, but from Moses to Jesus. David, exactly. David was a New Testament man living in the Old Testament. And much of what he did, the Psalms are prophetic, much of what David did was a foretaste of what was to come. David's tabernacle was an open tent. There was no curtain. And so during his reign of 40 years, the people had direct access to God. But when David died, Solomon became king. He built this magnificent temple. And in God, with God's instructions, the curtain went back up. Don't know why. I mean, but Linda said in her teaching, God's ways are not ours. And this is one of those ways, you know, when we get to heaven, we can ask him and say, how come, God? He'll have a good reason. Um, Okay, so uh, 
Jesus ushers us in, though. In fact, in, in um, Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, I'm just going to read this. It's not on the board or up on the screen or anything. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So he just died on the cross. And the moment he did, something really important for us happened. Verse 51 says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And do you know, the Jews may have repaired that curtain, but God never did from that day forward. That curtain is ripped open, and we have, through Jesus, permanent personal access to God. When I first read that, I thought, wow, that is just too much. You know, and it, God is so perfect. Every word that he puts into scripture, every word he gives us serves a purpose. So would it have been the same thing if the scripture said, or didn't say anything how the curtain, curtain was torn, or if it said the curtain, curtain was torn from the bottom up? Wouldn't have been the same thing, would it? Because nobody but God could get to the top of that curtain. And so when it says the curtain was torn in half from the top down, that was God's act, no longer separating. We were no longer separated from him. So we've got guaranteed permanent access to the presence of God and a perfect relationship with him. That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, wait, there's more. Um, I hope we experience incredible joy over that, but look at that next sentence. What incredible, uh, what incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Now, we, we sang this morning about hope, didn't we? We sang about a lot of things that I'm going to be talking about, but all my hope is in you, my treasure and my truth, my hope is in you. I was so delighted when Gloria included that song this week. Um, we had actually had a request to have that song sung, and I don't see a nice counting money. But anyway, um, that's, that's a standard for our congregation. But there's so much in that song that talks about the expanded gospel, not just heaven. Um, I've been chosen by your hand, through forgiveness called your friend. You know, I, I hope as we, when we sing these songs on Sunday morning, I hope we're paying attention to the words and not just saying, oh, this is a fun song to sing. I hope, you know, many of them are really fun. That's a fun song to sing, isn't it? but the truth's in it. You've loosed my chains and took my shame. On the cross you bore my pain. It's a gift I don't deserve and a treasure we cannot earn, but now a life that offers more and a cross that says it all. I have to kind of catch my breath on that. But, oh, okay, so another aspect of that sentence, I want to, before we go on to the next verse, I want to talk about this. What's the glory of God? It says, it says, our hope of experiencing God's glory. What's the glory of God? Uh, a rhetorical question, I'm going to answer it. Um, so, Chuck, we, we were talking about this on Wednesday morning in, in leadership, uh, in our leadership team meeting, and uh, I tell you, it's such a privilege for me to sit in there. The, the, the leadership team can... The other people on it are Pastor Rick, Chaplain Linda, teaching Pastor Chuck, and administrator beyond compare, Michelle. And I tell you, sometimes I'm just sitting in there thinking, wow, what a blessing, what a privilege to be sitting in here listening to these people talk. So well, we were talking about the glory of God, and, and I'm going to sh share a couple other, other aspects, but Chuck sums it up like this. The glory of God is the overwhelming manifestation of the essence of God. <laughs> A lot of words, you know, then you have to stop and think, what does that mean, the 
overwhelming manifestation of the essence of God. That means that God is so present in our lives at that moment that we are overwhelmed. Now, I, I don't know about you, but have, have, have tears ever formed in your eyes during the, a worship song? Never happens to me. Um, but, oh, no lightning. So, okay, actually it happens far too often because it makes me mad I have to stop singing. But um, Rick says it's okay to express emotions like that. So, you know what? That, that's, that's not just an emotional response to a pretty song or to neat words. That's the overwhelming presence of the essence of God coming over you. You know, in, in, in when Solomon's temple was dedicated, it says that the, the glory of the Lord so filled the temple that the priests couldn't minister. They, they fell flat on their faces. And so that happens to us. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful to be overwhelmed by the... Have you ever been healed? I mean, miraculously healed or seen it happen? I, I have. That is an overwhelming manifestation of the essence of God just coming right into your life and invading. So we have a lot of these things. We don't, sometimes we don't recognize them and understand what's happening. Um, sometimes it, there's a visual aspect of it. There's, there's a radiance of God. Um, uh, there's a weightiness. You know, when the, when the priests were trying to minister, or when we're tr sometimes when we're trying to minister and God over, overwhelms us, it's, 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 it's like a weight on our shoulders, but it's a good weight. Um, it makes us stop doing what we might have been doing, and we just, like I said, overwhelmed. So, so, so this is what we get, and so we're, we're joyful, um, and we keep on celebrating our hope of experiences, experiencing God's glory. I want to say something now about hope, but I'll get to, to this a little bit more. Uh, hope is not a wish. It's a certainty that we haven't yet seen or experienced, but it is a certainty. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. Um, one more thing about God's glory. You know, in the Old Testament, or before Jesus really walked the earth, God made it very clear he would not share his glory with anyone. In, in, in Isaiah, there's a couple of really strong verses that say, I will not share my glory with another. God was jealous of his glory. It was his alone. Listen to what Jesus prays to the Father in John 17. I have given them, he's talking there about the apostles, but he's also talking about those who will believe in him long after he's gone. That's us. Okay? And, 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 but listen to this. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are. I and them, you and me, all being perfected into one. God shares his glory with us. We have that hope as a certainty. But wait, there's more. Okay, let's, um, oh, honey, put up uh, slide four, I think it is. Yeah, so here's, look, this is, our faith in Jesus does, it just doesn't get us into heaven. In fact, I don't have that listed up there. Here's four more things that the gospel means for us. It transfers God's righteousness to us. We are flawless in God's sight. It allows us to enjoy true and lasting peace with God. It guarantees us access to God and perfect relationship with him. It gives us hope of experiencing God's glory. Whew. Terrific, huh? But wait, there's lots more. Okay, slide five. Verse three through five. I'm going to read them all together here. But that's not all. 
See, Paul knew what he was talking about. But wait, there's more. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character, and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So let's look at this. So Michelle has told me before, this is one of her favorite passages. There's another one in James and maybe one in Peter or something. We rejoice in our troubles. Uh, you may. I've never rejoiced in my troubles. I, you know, I, so there's a failure on my part because it says we should. But I, I, here's how the Living Bible puts that. We should rejoice in our troubles for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. Now, if I had my druthers, I would never have to learn to be patient. I'd just have it. You know, I, I want patience. Zap! Patience it is. Actually, when I first became a Christian, one of the first prayers a good friend in the church said to me was, said, never pray for patience. Never pray for patience. God's faithful. <laughs> so, so how do we get patience? We get patience through problems and struggles that come into our lives. And it just depends on how we're willing to face those. Again, on, on, on Wednesday morning, Chuck said, you know, those, the troubles that are being talked about here are times when we have to turn to God for a solution. You know, we have troubles that comes into, come into our lives that we can correct. Oops, I made a mistake in my checkbook. I can correct that. But the troubles being talked about here are the kind that we can't correct on our own. We have to turn to God for that to happen. And when we do turn to God, then patient endurance is developed within us. I remember Sarah's talk from last week. You know, she's facing these uh, things in her lives that have enslaved her, right? And she, she isn't experiencing the freedom or she wasn't experiencing the freedom that she knew was in Christ. And so she's made some decisions through those struggles God is developing in her patient endurance. She's not starting out on a path that she's going to quit. She's been on some of, these, some of these paths, you know, for months now, and there's more to come. But she's going to continue on and press on. So God is developing in her patient endurance. A good thing. Um, patient endurance leads to a refining of our character. Well, what does that mean? I've known a lot of characters in my day. So, no, that's not what it means here. As our character is refined, we become more and more Christ-like. That's really what it means here. So we develop this patient endurance, and that leads us then into a more Christ-like character. So God's at work in us. We face a trouble we can't solve on our own. He's there to help. He teaches us to be patient and to endure, and as we do that, then... He's refining our character and making us more Christ-like. And then what happens? That leads us back to hope. Honey, go ahead and put that next slide up. So, so just kind of pictorially here, uh, times of trouble, times when we need God. So here we are, we're walking along in hope, nothing happening. Oh, this is great, man. I love it. And then, then all of a sudden, something really hits us hard, a struggle. And so the struggle leads to patient endurance. If we turn to God, there is that kind of, you know, you got to do that. Okay, if we turn to God... Our struggles lead to patient endurance. Patient endurance leads to proven character. And then we find ourselves back up on top again. And we're walking in that certainty of hope. Um, uh, 
So I'm going to throw my wife off here. Let's, honey, go back to um, the previous slide, would you? Uh, there we go. So verse 5, let's just look at this for a minute. This hope is not a disappointing fantasy. Have you ever bought a lottery ticket? Never. I was hoping to hear a lot of no's, but I know some people do. That's okay. Hey, so why do you buy a lottery ticket? You hope you're going to win, right? That hope's a fantasy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it is, but we're not talking about a disappointing fantasy here. And it's a certainty, and there's a great why. Why? Because we experience the endless love of God. And I love this word cascading. What's a cascade? It's a little waterfall, right? And it's, it's not real. It's just not a peaceful flowing river. It's a moving body of water. Um, it's like the difference between washing your hands at the sink and standing under the shower. That's how God is pouring his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, cascading. And another thing about that, the verb there that means cascading, that is a present tense verb. It's a present status. It doesn't mean that when I profess my faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior in March 2nd, 1976, God poured his love into my heart and there's nothing more help happening. It means that right now, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, he's pouring his love into my heart. Right now, he's pouring his love into glory, I can tell, because I can see it on her face. And each one of you, you know, God is pouring his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So that's the hope that we have. Sounds pretty good to me. But wait, there's more. Um, let's go to slide seven. Got to find my notes here. This is where I'd shoot the uh, starter pistol, but I don't have it with me, so, okay. Um, verse six, I'm going to read six through eight here together, too. They, kind of, they all deal with the same thing. Um, and, you know, the, I've always known this patch, pat, passage of Scripture, just not as well as I do now, but when I first became a Christian, there, we, one of the memory verses was, but God showed his great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's tremendous. But that, and so that's what this passage says. Well, let's read through this. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Okay, so totally without hope, basically. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? I hope everybody in here would probably say, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, oh, we can understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. Uh, well, maybe. Um, that's what our soldiers do, don't they? they a concept, a noble concept sometimes. Anyway, um, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. So, the point here is God's love is not based on our worthiness. It's not based on our works. It's not based on anything we do or don't do. Why does God love us? Ephesians makes it real clear because he wants to. And what God wants to do, he does. So he loves us beyond measure, beyond our understanding. Okay, so um, it's not based on anything we can do. Um, what if this passage said... After some people became righteous and worthy through their own works, Christ died for them. It would leave me out. I would hazard a guess it would, might leave a couple others out that are here today. So, but it doesn't say that. It says, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, 
God showed his great love for us by dying for us. Boy, now that, that to me, that's a head scratcher. I was scratching my head. And it's a wonderful thing. But wait, there's more. Let's look at verse 9. And there's still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. Now, he just, he just told us that he died on the cross because he loved us so much, right? But now Paul says, wait, there's, there's more about this love. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. So, so just, you know, imagine here I am God, the Father. I've always wanted to be God, the Father. No. Um, so I'm standing up in front of all of you, and I say to you, you are righteous. I declare you righteous. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. Gosh, okay, so that's what's happened, right? When, uh, for us believers, the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. Okay, so, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. I, I have a question for you all. You know, some, we, we, we don't often talk about the wrath of God, but if you're outside the church, maybe that's, that's a discussion sometime. Um, uh, did God scare you into the kingdom or did he love you into the kingdom? I'm just curious, how many were scared into the kingdom? I know her background, and that makes sense. <laughs> How many were loved into the kingdom? You know, I, I just got, yeah, God, God wooed me. He just wooed me. That's all. I, I thought I was a good person, and instead of showing me his wrath, he said, Rick, I'm going to teach you the truth, and I love you so much that you're even acceptable to me. So... Um, we don't have to know a lot about the wrath of God, except this verse says we'll never experience it. Does that mean others will? Yeah, it does. But we will not. You know, there's a scripture that says God poured his wrath out upon Jesus, the, the innocent <coughs> lamb of God. And he's never, never going to pour his wrath out on us. We will never experience that. Boy, that's good news. Let's look at verse 10. Or excuse me, well, that was verse, yeah, verse 10. Verse 10 says, So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. I want to stop just a moment there. What a powerful way of saying that. Now, earlier, some translations said, said back in verses 1 and 2, we, this, we've got this relationship with God now, we're friends of God. And that's so true. Jesus calls us his friends. But in all of this, the truth, the power of the gospel, we are more than friends. There's something more than friendship here, and it's family. God has made us sons and daughters. Um, again, that's, that's one of those things, you know, that's not an abstract thought, but sometimes it's really hard to grasp sometimes, understand fully. Um, okay, so something more, something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will, be, will we be rescued from sin's dominion? You know, sin had dominion over the world when Adam and Eve sinned. It did. I Actually, it had legal dominion over the world because they gave up what God had called them to do, which was to have dominion over the world. Well, Jesus' death did away with sin's dominion. And, and it no longer has dominion over us. 
Listen to these passages. This is Romans 6, 6 and 7, not on the board or on the screen. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And in verse 11 in that same chapter, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Sarah was talking about that last week. Sin does not have dominion over her anymore. She felt enslaved. But that, and Rick has mentioned this to us too, we don't have a sin nature anymore. God's given us a new nature, right? So we're not habitual sinners, but we still have some habits in our lives that may be sinful. And we have power to overcome those through the Lord. So, you know, um, when I first became a Christian, there, I, I heard this all the time. In fact, probably even more recently than that, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I was, but I'm not anymore. On the, the moment that I professed my faith in Jesus, I went from a sinner saved by grace to a child of God with a new nature. Don't ever call yourself a sinner saved by grace. Never. It's just not true anymore. Um, if, if there's someone here who hasn't given their life to Christ, don't leave here without doing that. And then you'll know you're a child of God. Sin has no dominion over you. And you'll have gone from being a sinner saved by grace instantly to a child of God. Okay, so uh, honey, put up that next slide. This is kind of a summary here. Now, some of this repeats. Um, slide 10. Ah, there we go, thanks. Okay, so as a result of God's love for us, demonstrated by the blood of Jesus, look at this list. Now, these are all parts of the gospel. Now, a couple of them are repeats. You know, in the Bible, when God says anything that's important, when he decides to say it a second or more times, it might be more important. So let's look at this. We're declared righteous. That's repeated in this passage. We never experience the wrath of God. We are more than friends of God. We enjoy peace with God. That's repeated too. So, you know, doubly important maybe. Um, we share in the resurrected life of Jesus and we're rescued from sin's dominion. I don't know about you, but yeah, that, 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 you know what? That's dynamite, isn't it? That's, that's really, that's really tremendous. Yeah. But wait, <laughs> but wait, there is more. I put the last slide up, honey. Verse 11. And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living in harmony with God, all because of Jesus Christ. So, so I looked up the word harmony, in the, because I, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I use that all the time. What's it really mean? And uh, so there's some good meanings of it, internal calm, tranquility. That's not what we're talking about here, though. Here's what we're talking about. This is a definition of harmony an interweaving or arranging of parts to form a perfect whole. An interweaving or arranging of parts to form a perfect whole. That's what God has done. He's brought us into harmony with himself. I'm going to close today, and worship team, come on up. Um, but uh, I, 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 I'm going to read a passage here from John 17. Read part of it earlier, but this is really what, what God is talking about what Paul's talking about when he says living in harmony with God all because of Jesus. I'm going to John 17 starting at verse gosh, I have to take my glasses off. I can't because I got a headphone on. I don't have to open it. Okay. 
starting with verse 20. And I ask not only for these disciples, this is Jesus praying to the Father, I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. That's us, isn't it? I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity or harmony. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement you give us. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, which is just so much more. We thank you that you are opening our hearts all the time, Lord, to more aspects, to the more that just continues to fill us. So that we ask you to soften our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes. Let us see and hear what you're doing, what you're saying to us. Penetrate our hearts, Lord, and as our hearts grasp all of these truths, Lord, renew our minds so that our minds can believe too. Lord, it's just not enough to say thank you. I don't know how to respond, really, except to praise and honor you and worship you. Acknowledge that you are God. Declare again and profess that you are our Lord and Savior. We believe in you, Jesus. We believe in you. So have your way here in this church, here in your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes. 